Today's episode of Astronomy Cast is sponsored by Magellan TV. Claim your two-month free trial, only available at MagellanTV.com slash AstronomyCast. Magellan TV is a brand new streaming service that features the very best collection of space and science documentaries available anywhere. The service includes over 1,500 documentary movies, series, and exclusive playlists designed with you in mind. Check out their space genre and explore the solar system like never before. If you've been listening to our last few episodes, you know that we've covered a mix of ethnoastronomy, discussing the sky stories of people around the world, as well as highlighting modern observatories that circle our globe. This mix of old and new reflects the content I've been consuming on Magellan TV, where I can catch the latest news in archaeology and anthropology and also the most recent documentaries about our universe. This is a platform founded by filmmakers that will help you gain insight on the things you're passionate about as you consume their productions, one awesome episode or film at a time. Find the answers to some of the biggest questions about the universe and gain a deeper understanding of our solar system, astronomy, the cosmos, novas, and beyond. These are the stories of Magellan TV. Once again, claim your two-month free trial only available at MagellanTV.com slash AstronomyCast. Astronomy Cast, episode 534, Modern South African Astronomy. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane, publisher of Universe Today. With me, as always, Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great. Uh, here we are, our penultimate episode our penultimate live studio episode that we are recording from our home studios during season 11. Um, so there's this episode and the next week, I don't even know if we have a topic for next week yet, but, um, and then we will wrap up for the summer. However, we are going to be at the all-stars party. We're going to be with our friends and we're going to be with a bunch of our other space, uh, podcast creators and so we will be creating all kinds of content with them and we will be dropping a ton of this into the feed so stay tuned you're going to get a lot even though if you can't join us you at least get as if you were there with some of the conversations that we had while we were there so educational astronomy on the go silliness will be coming your way yeah exactly All right, you know the drill now. Last week, we talked about some ancient South African astronomy. So this week, we'll talk about the modern state of astronomy in the southern part of Africa, which happens to be a great place with nice dark skies and a perfect view into the heart of the galaxy. Now, I haven't been to South Africa. Have you? Yes. You have. It's fabulous. Yeah. And and I... I really recommend it as the kind of place that brings some hope because there's a lot of nations right now that you visit, my own included, where you get the sense of a nation on decline. You get a sense of a whole bunch of people who've lost hope and are just forlornly watching the world burn. Well, 
when I was in South Africa in 2010, this was the first generation of adults that had grown up with apartheid ending, with opportunity on the rise, yeah. with people of different colors all able to mix in the cities. And the amount of poverty was great, but the amount of hope was great as well. And one of the things that they've been working to do is this has been a technologically advanced nation. And they're now looking to advance all the people of their nation through science. And astronomy is one of the places that they're putting a great deal of effort because it gives them an excuse to get amazing infrastructure into remote parts of their countryside. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I again, I haven't been to Southern Africa. I have been into the Southern Hemisphere now. And so yeah. I've got to assume that the view of the skies from South Africa is as amazing as the view from, from Australia. Dark yes. skies away from light pollution, staring into the core of the galaxy. But but the difference is the wildlife. So so in Australia, you have to worry that something deadly yeah, something is going to be on the ground when you sit down. So maybe you don't sit on the grass. In in South Africa, out at Sutherland Observatory, a whole group of us decided we were going to walk up from the visitor center to the main observatory at the peak of the mountain. And I... Uh, we did this after dark because we're astronomers and morons and uh, just settled on the side of the observatory road so that none of the astronomers leaving the mountain to go to sleep would run us over. And we didn't have flashlights. We didn't want to ruin anyone's observing. So as the sun came up, we realized we had sat down in the middle of a herd of springbok. Right. And so all of these giant antlered, giant jumping critters wake up and they're like what is this strange thing and one of them came over and was like flaring its nostrils at one of the cameras that we had on an automatic timer and it was just this amazing experience to see the zodiacal light get bright and the sun come up and then to realize you're in a herd of wild animals yeah um some of my uh favorite my favorite Astronomy power couple comes from uh, South Africa, Corey and Tanya Schmitz from Photographing Space. And the pictures that they are just sending back are stunning. So, uh, you know, I cannot wait to get a chance to head down to, to South Africa. Let's talk about observatories then. You know, it's not just we who have suspect it's a great place for astronomy. Uh, the astronomical community is pretty certain as well. So what are some of the observatories and facilities that are there in in Africa so so well here we're focusing on South Africa with a touch of nations around it so we're gonna start in the city of Cape Town where you have the Royal Observatory of the Cape of Good Hope that is built up on a hill in a part of Cape Town that's called observatory and one of the really amazing things about this part of the city is it was one of the areas that, even during apartheid, allowed the mixing of races. This was what was called a gray area of the city. It's student housing. It's kind of think about that super uh, weird and trendy neighborhood near your favorite large university campus. And you kind of have this area. Um, 
but maybe with like a touch of Haight-Ashbury thrown into the mix. Now, the observatory itself was built in 1820. This is one of the great historic observatories that was put there so that they could figure out when they were. Uh, so just like with the Sydney Observatory, this is a facility that once upon a time had a large telescope and was responsible for figuring out latitude and longitude so they could literally accurately put Cape Town on the map. Now, Cape Town has kind of grown since 1820. The light pollution has more than kind of grown since 1820. And so with all of those changes and with a desire to have one of the best observing facilities in the Southern Hemisphere, starting in the 1970s, they uh, began moving the nation's telescopes that were at universities and other random places out to Sutherland. And, and so where and so how far away is Sutherland? Um, it's, it's a several hour drive uh, to the north and east from Cape Town. Uh, it takes you through some of the oldest landscape in the world. You can actually see chaotic terrain where the land is flipped up and you can see the iridium line through the sedimentary layers that marks here be dead dinosaurs. Right. That's and uh, there are baboons along the way. Um, beware the baboons. They're freaky. Um, and and then once you get out to Sutherland, this is not just a great place for professional astronomy, but they also do astrotourism, and it's a dark sky preserve. So once you get out there, there there's all of the normal small town countryside things that you'll find anywhere that is yearning to be a tourist trap. But once you get up to the top of the mountain, there are different domes up on that plateau and so I mean we've seen how this plays out some small ones some big ones and some very big ones yeah and and like so many other places what we also see is the history of the development of astronomy. One of my favorite telescopes that they have up there because the data from it is near and dear to me is the Allen Cousins Telescope. This is just a 30 inch telescope. Doesn't sound all that tremendous, 75 centimeters. But this particular telescope, if you've ever heard of like the, the Cousins filters, the precision photometry, uh, that photometric system was defined for the Southern Hemisphere using this telescope. So if you ever needed to use standard stars to figure out how bright something was in the Southern Hemisphere, you owe a thank you to this little 30-inch telescope. That's really cool. I mean, there are, there are planet hunting telescopes, there are sky surveys, and yeah. there's one very very big telescope the the salt telescope so let's talk about some of the other instruments that you can find at this at this one place i mean there is a level of concentration of astronomical equipment in this one location yeah greater than i think you know in any of the places that we've talked about they're more spread out yes. in other areas but in southern africa they are they are this right peak, here this they is are the place all there yeah, yeah. 
so so like most big observatories, there is, of course, the Las Combres Observatory Global Telescope Network telescope. It's a 39-inch telescope, part of the network, been there since 2013. So your standard player is, of course, there. So, so, so I, sorry, what, I mean, I don't, we, I don't think we talked too much about the Las Combres. What do they, what are they doing? Uh, so Las Combres is a network of telescopes scattered across pretty much the entire planet. So there is no part of the sky that can go unseen at any time of day is the ultimate goal. And uh, they're everything from telescopes that teachers can get time on for their classrooms to uh, regular everyday people can rent them to they're also used for a variety of uh, just low photometric need science projects. So things like follow up on supernovae, monitoring of asteroids, uh, follow up on things where your needs are is this thing's orbit still what we thought before we snuggle up our spacecraft? So they did follow up on Rosetta, right. on the asteroid Rosetta went to Sherry Geary. Um, so it's just a really cool network that is pretty much, if you have a good mountaintop, you're going to have one of their telescopes. Yeah, there's one in McDonald Observatory, one at Haleakala in Hawaii, yeah. um, in the Canary Islands. So they are really across the world. It's such a great idea that they've got a series of telescopes that can literally track an object from hemisphere to hemisphere wherever and whenever you need to, which is such a, a wonderful yeah. concept. And, and I know and you can, they, they do give, I think they're the ones that give time to interesting outreach, educational yeah. projects and things like that. And and the last this particular network of telescopes has gone through many different phases. It started as the Falks telescopes, uh, funded out of Great Britain by a man named Falks. Uh, he couldn't fund it to get as large as, as, as the goal. Uh, it evolved into the Las Cambres system. Google got in for a while, funding a lot of it. And so this has really been a long-term effort with a whole lot of people seeing the need and helping us scatter telescopes hither and yon essentially now other things that you might have heard of uh, we have talked about Kelt objects uh, on a fairly steady basis across all of the years um, these are the kilo degree extremely little telescopes uh, the, the first one was built by the Ohio State University to monitor the northern hemisphere um, now we also have a Southern Hemisphere version, and these are survey telescopes that are out plugging away looking for exoplanets. So you have things like KELT 9b, which is a extremely hot exoplanet that I'm particularly fond of that was found with this system. Let's talk about the big one. <laughs> you're like, we're just going to skip WASP and everything else. No, 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 else. no. You know what? No, I, I appreciate the way you're setting this up. Yeah, let's talk about WASP. Okay, so, so WASP is another one of these robotic telescopes that is out there looking for exoplanets. And one of the things that I appreciate about this, which is why I wanted to bring it up, is, is this is a telescope that has multiple incarnations around the world. And in this case, it's a joint venture between the Canaries and South Africa. And um, they are also pulling up little 
planet after little planet orbiting distant stars. Uh, we also have a variety of monitoring systems to do things uh, like monitor for um, incoming near-Earth objects. We have systems that are designed to monitor the sun, helping to detect the oscillations that we see in its atmosphere. And now we can go to SALT. Okay, because this is a this is a this is a very big telescope, and and this one I I have to admit is a bittersweet telescope to me because I went to the University of Texas where they built the Hobby Eberly Telescope, which I was supposed to use to do amazing science for my dissertation. The goal when I wrote my dissertation was we were going to get 30 spectra per galaxy cluster of galaxy cluster after galaxy cluster. And we're going to do detailed studies of how these systems were evolving as a function of mass and redshift. And about 10 years later, another astronomer got an amazing award for doing a dissertation on this because mine was blighted by the Hobby Eberly Telescope not functioning the way it was supposed to function. <laughs> right. So, and so you didn't want to use that telescope. It was broken. I, I, no, yeah. no. So um, I, I ended up with like nine spectra total on two clusters for my dissertation. Um, so the Hobby Eberly Telescope had issues when it was first constructed. It was built, it was designed to be the largest, cheapest telescope of its kind. The original budget was $15 million to build would, what would be, at the time, the largest light gathering telescope uh, in optical wavelengths in the world. And, and it was. It just could only stay in focus for like 10 to 20 minutes. Right. And it was thought that they'd be able to do monitoring of how the mirrors flexed and changed as temperature and humidity changed. But it was actually a chaotic problem. So their original plan to use computer models to keep the telescope in focus by measuring humidity and temperature variations and flexing the system accordingly, it didn't work. And so the last couple of years that I was finishing up my PhD, the observatory was invaded by South African engineers because they came and in exchange for uh, the plans for the Hobby Eberly Telescope um, and more complexity things, uh, they came in and put in tremendous effort to help get that telescope working. And now the Hobby Eberly is a workhorse. And from what they learned, helping to get the Hobberly Eberly to the Hobby Eberly to live up to its full potential, they took everything they learned returned to South Africa and built what it is still the largest collecting area telescope in the southern hemisphere yeah and they've been using it to do tremendous science so this is a case of really clever engineers saying we don't have a whole lot of budget but we've got a whole lot of skill so let us fix that for you yeah yeah it's right and and so I mean this telescope again you know I, I it is, uh, it's a 10-meter telescope. So when we think about the Keck observatories. But the mirror is 11. Yeah, the it's mirror, right. It's a fixed azimuth telescope. And it's this weird collection of hexagonal 
elements all yeah. collected together. And so you don't so it's not this one single ground mirror. It's these hexagonal elements that work together to form the mirror. And so it was done exactly right. It was done on the cheap and yet it is an 11 meter telescope and so again compare that you've got the Keck observatory at 10 meters you've got the um the very large telescope the individual telescopes they're only eight and a half meters the gemini's like the only thing that really gets close size wise is you've got the one in the canary islands which is 11 meters and then you've got the the ones um the binocular telescope which we yeah. talked about a few a few uh, weeks back. But those are both in the Northern Hemisphere. But they're both in the Northern Hemisphere. And so there is a telescope that is that is easily one of the largest telescopes in the Earth, you know, on the Earth, located in this prime location that has the skies all to itself. So it's like if you want to do astronomy from the Southern Hemisphere, there is some just a phenomenal tool at your disposal. And it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and it's and a they did super it. clever design. Yeah. Yeah. So so the way they keep the costs down on the design is the telescope is is at a fixed tilt and there is a smooth cement donut that the telescope has these these airlifts so think Luke Skywalker Luke Skywalker's craft on Tatooine they lift the telescope and they can rotate it but they can't change its tilt but they can move the secondary mirror. Right. So they're able to track objects for brief periods of time. You're not going to track all night. You're going to track for like 20 minutes. Um, but they're able to track, and as they track, they're using a different 10-meter-ish section of that 11-meter mirror that has a spherical surface. And, and so they're able to greatly reduce the costs by not having to engineer in the ability to change the tilt of the telescope. So they can just rotate, yeah, and then they can move around the secondary, and, and that's enough. And, so, you know, if you want to think of an analogy, we've talked about the Arecibo Observatory, which is a radio telescope in, in Puerto Rico, and it is a, you know, it's a segment of a sphere carved yeah. out of a... I, like a collapsed crater, you know, on Puerto Rico. And yeah. so they move the instrumentation on cables up a, yeah. that hangs up above the, the telescope. And that's how they get data on different parts. So as long as this thing is kind of in the field of view, then they can move the instrumentation and capture imagery. And it's the same thing on what they do with this telescope. So it doesn't work the way a regular telescope does, but for what it does, it does it better than almost any other instrument on earth and i i just i've i've always been a gigantic fan of of this specific telescope because they did it on a shoestring and they run yeah. it on a shoestring and yeah. you know for tens of millions of dollars in ongoing budget to run this world-class observatory so so congrats yeah. to everyone in south africa you should be really proud of of this telescope that's operating there and and they need to be really proud of what is coming yes yeah, I mean, so, we're talking big telescopes. So, so Sutherland is where all of the optical is done. But if you go out to Karoo, which is a different deserty part that is truly stunning with magnificent animals, uh, if you go out to Karoo, which is a bit further to the east and a little bit further to the north, you are going to run in 
to an array of 64 13.5 meter dishes that are currently out there in this vast swath of plains. Um, they have an inner cluster that is spread over a not very large area. It's about one kilometer across. But then for another four kilometers in all directions, they have uh, another 30% of their dishes scattered. This particular pattern is fairly unique to this set of telescopes. This is the meerkat array. Yes. This is a precursor to the SKA that is testing the science, proving the technology, and already doing some really phenomenal science. Um, and when they start building SKA, it's not going to be limited to this eight meter diameter area of deserty landscape. No, SKA is going to span across multiple nations as they build what will be half of the greatest radio facility in the world across southern Africa. And this is why they talk about the next International Astronomical Union meeting after Korea is going to be in southern Africa because they're holding it in Cape Town. But it's going to be hosted by all these different nations that are working together, collaborating together to do radio astronomy that will have, from one telescope, amazing resolution thanks to one giant continent. Yeah, and we, we talked about this two weeks ago from the Australian perspective. And the great thing about the Meerkat observatories is that is that these are what these are some of the technologies that they tested out and demonstrated both that Southern Africa would be a good spot to house the square kilometer array, but also that they had the technical the technological chops to yeah. do this kind of astronomy that that the engineers and the designers and the, the astronomers, engineering and the materials all came. Yeah, it's all world class. And, and it, it's locally built. This is locally built, not half of it came from Germany. No, it's them rocking it out. And now astronomers from around the world are doing um, astronomy with the best sets of acronyms I have ever seen. <laughs> Such I, as? So, so I, I just had to bring this up. Meerkat is, of course, an acronym itself. Um, and it has led to mongoose, spelled really weirdly, M-H-O-N-G-O-O-S-E, which is the Meerkat H1 observations of nearby galactic objects observing southern emitters. It's a little bit forced, but awesome. There is Meergal, which is the Meerkat High Frequency Galactic Plane Survey. There's Mighty, which is the Meerkat International Gigahertz Tiered Extragalactic Exploration Survey. There is Thundercat, the hunt for dynamic and explosive radio transmitters with Meerkat. Um, it's, it's just um, amazing thing after amazing thing with amazing acronyms. So go team go. Yeah, yeah. Um, were there any other interesting instruments from other wavelengths? Isn't there a Cherenkov radiation 
observatory in South Southern Africa? Uh, I'm trying checking. to remember. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe not. So they're members of the Shrenkov Telescope Array, but I'm not seeing it yeah. as being built there. Um, it The big one is in um, South of Paranal in... Yeah. Um, there is a Nambia South African Shrenkov Telescope Task Force. Okay. Yeah, or Namibia. I recall. Yeah, I recall there being one there, but but uh, but no. Um, Cool. Well, I think we've uh, we've reached the the end of our of our time anyway. But I think again, if you if you want an interesting vacation, if you want to go to a place that's up and coming on the astronomy scene, it sounds like South Africa is the is the place to go. Just avoid the (laughs) the dangerous wildlife while you uh, while you're looking up at the night sky. I, 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 so go to Cape Town and do two things for me in addition to the astronomy. One, go on a wine tour. There's actually a winery called Goats de Rome that is the result of not being able to be Cotes de Rome anymore because of EU regulations. And you can do a wine and goat cheese tasting. It is fabulous. In addition to this, go to the beach that has both penguins and baboons and break your brain because no children's coloring book prepared any of us for penguins and baboons to be co-located in the wild as natural um, things to laugh at on a beach. But be aware the baboons will try and break into your camera gear. Right. That sounds awesome. Do you have some names for us this week, Pamela? I, you know, I just might do that. Um, So today's names... We have Bill Hamilton, Greg Thorwald, Frederick Hagni Kvan Jensen, Helga Bjorkog, Kjartan Sarvra. I'm this so is sorry. awesome. I love this. Keep going. Um, keep going. Joseph Hoy, Dana Nori, Emily Patterson, Paul Jarman, Joss Cunningham, Corey Diwali, Les Howard, Laura Kittleson, Robert Palsama, The Giant Nothing, Brian Cagle, David Troig, Andrew Polstra, Ramji, and Matu. Burry Gowan and Jordan Young. Thank you for being our patrons and all the rest of you. If you really want to help us out and you want to help us keep this show going and expanding, join us on Patreon. I will be releasing content throughout this summer or at least letters letting you know what all we're up to that have pictures included. Yeah. So thank you. We're here because of you. The great thing about Patreon is that only a small group of people need to support what we do so that we can make this information available to everyone around the world that we don't have to put yeah. it behind a paywall that we can just make it freely available which is the goal of science yeah of education and information and so thank you thank you thank you to all the patrons and if you're sitting on the fence and wondering will will i make a difference you will totally make a difference you will allow us to create more content and whether it's even through astronomy cast or through our our personal patreons through mine through universe today and pamela through star strider you make a difference on allowing us to create content to pay our teams to be able to come up with new ideas and to dedicate our lives to educating the world about space and astronomy so thank you 
Yeah, and and you'd really be surprised at just how far things go. Um, since we've we've not had the NASA funding that we've had in the past, um, my Patreon is what pays for all of my software and servers every month, and that just makes me functional. Yeah. Um, so that one thing allows me to do everything else that I do. Um, it's it's everything when you support us. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, thank uh, you. Same for me, right? Every penny that we earn from Patreon, I just spend on writers and and editors and and etc. So that's how we are able to make more content. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we will see you all next week. Bye. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by the Planetary Science Institute, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at Astronomy Cast. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com. Tweet us at Astronomy Cast, like us on Facebook, and watch us on YouTube. We record our show live on YouTube every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. 12 p.m. Pacific, or 1900 UTC. Our intro music was provided by David Joseph Wesley. The outro music is by Travis Searle, and the show was edited by Susie Murph.